Hello and welcome to the Word on the Hill podcast. This is the Lanky Guys. And your name is Dr. Scott Powell. That's true. And your name is Father Peter Mussett. And uh, we're here to, uh, for an- another yet illuminating week of, yes. of trying to grasp the common meaning between all of the scriptures at once. All uh, Well, not all of them. Well, I mean, technically, if you grasp... I think that if you grasp the the core meaning of the scriptures, you have you get it all at once because it's simple. Yeah. On that happy note, it is the thirty second Sunday in ordinary time, y'all. Dude, we are closing in on the end of the liturgical calendar. We're closing in on Advent. Boom. Which our um, second reading is from the. Can um, we start with the first reading? Um, okay, our gospel today. We can mix it up maybe in this in the fifth season. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're still in the fourth. Our first reading is from Second Maccabees, yo, um, seven chapter to verse one two MC seven, jumping to nine fourteen. Yeah, the reason that we don't get the the intervening verses three through eight is because it talks about all the limbs that are chopped off. And oh the, no, and the skinning being done. Oh, it's a very violent passage. It's already pretty violent, but I can. I was actually it thinking gets it, so much more violent. I was thinking about the kids. <laughs> Second. Second Maccabees is one of the most disturbing, horrific, and violent books in the Bible. Uh, and we'll talk about why in just a minute. <laughs> until then. Until then, tell, a word from tell our responsorial a, psalm. Yeah, let's tell me about the responsorial. The, the responsorial psalm is coming from Psalm 17. We're looking at verse 1, verse 5 through 6, and verse 8, and then verse 15. Boom. And the response itself is from 15b. To b 15 or is not. to be centesimus annus. Nice. Yeah, that's a very Catholic, you know, interpretation of that passage. Indeed. Our second reading is Second Thessalonica. Really? Second Thessalonians. Is that what we're doing? Chapter two, sixteen to chapter three, verse five. Ah, oh, yes. And our gospel, of course, is coming from the Gospel of Luke, chapter twenty, verses twenty-seven through thirty-eight. We have. Uh, Actively skipped, very, very, very uh, precisely skipped over the Palm Sunday narrative. So Jesus, remember, has been on his way to Jerusalem for the last however many weeks. Now he's in Jerusalem, but you've got no warning for that because there was no Palm Sunday because we'll come back to that on Palm Sunday. <laughs> so we've skipped it for now, and now Jesus is in Jerusalem. So he's arrived. So it's kind of it's like this. Things After these messages, we'll be right, right back. back. I have to say, we have seven brothers. Can we, not, can we not jump in quite yet? Can I just give a tiny bit of background? I won't explain Maccabees. Don't worry. <laughs> I see that look in your eyes. You're like, come on, Scott. But can I just say something about the nature of there being two books of Maccabees? Sure. So the, Scott, I love, every, like, I love everything you say. Uh, do you? No. But, uh, <laughs> but I love you. <laughs> Here's the thing. Um, first, sometimes people mistakenly think that uh, Second Maccabees is just the sequel to First Maccabees. <laughs> it's not. They're not consecutive. Like First and Second Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians was a letter written after First Thessalonians. That's not how Maccabees work. Um, Second Maccabees is a closer, uh, a closer look, a more detailed view of what happens in First Maccabees. So, well, so they actually, have two actually, different audiences. Yeah, but Protestant Bibles don't have, neither do Jewish Bibles, which is very ironic because Maccabees is the only place where the Feast of Hanukkah is described. Dreidel, dreidel, dreidel. I made you out of clay. Yep. Dreidel, dreidel, dreidel. With dreidel, I will play. Um, but yeah, there, there's no account for it, partially because 
Oh, there's a, there's a lot we could go. We've talked a little bit about yeah, the yeah, yeah, canonical yeah. books. Yeah, yeah. That's why I just wanted to put a little it's important. shot. Yeah. But, but, but just to add another caveat to that caveat, <laughs> even with our Jewish friends. So again, Maccabees is not in a Jewish Bible, but this is where the Hanukkah story. The Jewish people don't believe that Maccabees is untrue or this didn't happen or these are, you know, some false books of the Bible. They're just not understood to be canonically, liturgically part of the canon of their scripture. So there's lots of writings and, and things that we have as Catholics that we don't put in the Bible. We have writings of the earliest church fathers, right? They're not scriptural, but that doesn't mean they're untrue or not important, right? right. So just the fact that uh, certain Bibles don't have a book doesn't mean those books are wrong. There's other things like, you know, you might have heard of the Gnostic Gospels or the Gospel of Judas, Gospel of Thomas. Some of those are false, and we don't believe those are legit. But there's lots of other things that are good. So our Jewish friends still still tell the stories of the Maccabees, but it's not in their canon, partially because the canon was already established when these books were being written. Yeah. So we're dealing with a time when the Greek Empire, under a guy named Antiochus Epiphanes IV, was brutalizing the Jewish people. He, uh, The Greeks are often known for wisdom and knowledge and, and all this stuff, philosophy, right? And there was a period where the Greeks were really big on bringing together all the world's philosophies. The library in Alexandria, which, with this great wonder of the world, burn, was founded. Baby burn. Yes, it did burn. But it was founded not too long before this by the Greeks who said, look, we want to gather all the wisdom and knowledge of the world together. That, um, that dynasty sort of passed out, and a new dynasty took over, and they said, no, that's a stupid idea. We don't care about the world's knowledge. We care about the Greeks, and we care about our power and our influence. And so if you believe something other than what the Greek Empire tells you to believe, you are going to die. And we're going to enforce this pretty seriously because we don't care about pluralism and voices and histories of the world. We only care about us. So Antiochus Epiphanes IV, really brutal king, came in and said, for example, if you're Jewish— you cannot practice your Judaism. If you have a Torah, we're going to burn it in the street. If you circumcise your child, we're going to kill you and the child. And um, Nice guy. Second Maccabees. So first Maccabees tells the story. Second Maccabees goes into more detail about it. Uh, I, I hope I have this the right direction. First Maccabees was by and large written to Jewish people who were not living in Jerusalem at the time, who needed the whole story given to them Got so it. that they could say, oh, this is what was happening. Second Maccabees is mainly for people who were there, but taking it into more detail, mm. kind of like what the Gospel of John is doing. It's assuming that you know the Gospel story, and now it's giving you a different perspective on it. So Second Maccabees gives you all of the detail, the horrific, brutal detail of what's going on. You really get some terrible stories here about, and the story, of course, uh, these brothers, the Maccabee brothers led by Judas, um, they stand up to the Greeks and they say, no, we're not going to take this anymore. We're going to practice our faith. We believe that our God can actually protect us. And he wants us to stand up for truth and for principles. And so we're going to stand up to this and they actually gain victory. They, they gain independence for Jerusalem. But before we get there, you get all the stories of the suffering and this one that we get this week in chapter 7, I think it's one of the best stories in the book of Maccabees. It's a pretty harsh story to read, but it's really uh, beautiful. I wish we actually got more of it, because what it says in this first line, it happened that seven brothers with their mother were arrested. Seven brothers and a mother. Um, seven brothers arrested. and a mother were taken into cuffs. <laughs> Yo, it has all sorts of crazy and rough. Oh, nice. Well done. Yeah. Um, I wish there was more about the mom, because... Hi, I, oh gosh, you, Father Peter, I, I don't, 
I don't know how to fully articulate how powerful this story is. I mean, think about what's happening here. So you have this story of these seven brothers. You were about to tell the story, weren't you? And I kind of cut you off. No, no, and told keep, you keep, keep, keep going. I was just, I was just trying to launch us in because I felt like we were babbling. We were babbling, like the Babylonians. Um, oh, Come on, you totally want to rhyme uh, it, dude. You like you just said it so that I'd slam off it, man. I know. I know. Okay, so seven brothers. They, basically, these brothers are saying, "Hey, we're not going to do the things that you're telling us to do." We're going to practice our Judaism. This and, is who and, we are. And doesn't this mom go like, you ain't going to do nothing, brothers? Well, hold on. Hold, yes, let's get there. So so that comes after what we have here. But oh, okay. seven brothers, they, they will not bow down and worship the Greek gods. And they won't eat, yeah, they won't eat fle- the they, flesh of a swine. Yeah, so basically there's these soldiers that are like, hey, show us that you're faithful to the empire now by eating this you know, McRib sandwich or you know, th- this pork <laughs> or <laughs> whatever it is, this hot dog. Um or, you know, offer this incense to this God. And they're like, no, we will not eat that food because it's unclean for us. We will not offer sacrifice to your gods. And it goes through this, this um, just brutalization. But there's well, this, the, the climax is with the mom. Well, well here, 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 even before, I mean, p- part of the thing about, um, e- like, the food laws in Israel were also to be, uh, they were uh, so that you wouldn't covenant with the foreign nations. Yeah, absolutely. And so it, it, this is like like it's not just that 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 pigs are unclean, but it's saying right. that that we uh, that you're not allowed as Israel to go into covenant with these other nations, yeah. not until the time in which all things are made clean. Yeah, absolutely. And so so what what's happening is that them saying you have to eat this is saying you have to covenant yourself with us and they're saying yeah. no, we're not going to do that. The specific right. reason for this law is being demonstrated before us. Right. And so we we are faithful to the laws of God because yes. we are the covenant people. And and it's and and so I, sometimes and they're told, well, we're going to kill you. Right. And, and I, they say, okay, go for it. Yeah, be, because we're faithful to God, not to man. So the two things. Um. Yeah, like you said, this isn't arbitrary. That's really important to know. It's not like, well, it says this. We don't know why, so we're just going to do it. And yeah. No, there, there's a deep, and they get this. Right. But uh, six of the brothers are killed in, in really horrific ways. And then fi- and you get the impression that these soldiers really don't want to do this. Like, they're following through with the commands that they've been given, but they're like, we don't really want to kill these guys. And so uh, after six of these seven children have been killed, the seventh, is there, and um, one of the soldiers goes to the mom, and he's like, hey, can, can you just talk some sense into your... Like, you've already witnessed six of your children die. Just talk some sense into them. Just a pinch of incense, you know, no big deal. Or just take a bite of this, you know... Uh, uh, <laughs> Pork... <laughs> what are uh, the... Carnitas. This is carnita. <laughs> what are those hot dogs, the the baseball park hot dogs? Yeah, yeah. Football. Ballpark Franks. Ballpark, that's ballpark franks anyway but he's just like just do this thing and then we can be done with this and you'll have your son back and you can go home and the mom is like okay i'll talk to him and she goes over to her son she's like son listen to me don't you dare go against the word of god don't you dare listen to what they say don't you give in you have courage you stand up god will reward you and she's like, all right, I talked to him. <laughs> and he's like, uh-huh. <laughs> but, I mean, this, this, but, but here's what's, and I want to actually read, because we have it highlighted in this. Um, let me just read a couple, a couple of words here. It happened to the seven brothers. They were with their mothers. They were tortured by whips and scourges by the king. Uh, they were found in violation of, uh, forced them to eat pork. 
And then we jump um, to, I forget which son this is by verse nine. At the point of death, one of the sons says, you accursed fiend, you are depriving us of this present life, but the king of the world will raise, will raise us up to life again, for it is his laws, it is for his laws that we're dying. And after him, the third, so that was the second, the third suffered their cruel sport. And he put out his tongue, once told to do so, and he bravely held out his hands as he spoke those words. It was from heaven that I received these. So he's holding out his tongue in his hands. It was from heaven that I received these. I shouldn't make light of it. But he's holding I, no, out his tongue. I was trying to do the same no, one I know, as, I as I was studying it. I know, you got was, me. <laughs> it was from heaven, but listen to this. It was from heaven that I received these. For the sake of his laws, I disdained them. From him I hope to receive them again. And even the king and his attendants marveled at this young man's courage because he regarded his sufferings as nothing. And after he had died, uh, they tortured and maltreated the fourth brother in the same way. And when he was near death, he said, It is my choice to die at the hands of men with the hope that God gives of being raised by him. For, but for you, there will be no resurrection of life. Here's the thing. This is, and, and we might hear this and we're like, Oh, yeah, that's really beautiful and this is great. And what courage. There is nothing like this in the entire Old Testament that speaks about the resurrection of the body like this. Nothing. There is nothing in the Jewish scriptures, nothing in the Old Testament that comes anywhere close to this sort of a detailed understanding that there will be a resurrection of the dead on the last day. And if I suffer for the living God, I will actually receive my body back in the last day. That's not in the Jewish understanding. That's not in the Jewish scriptures Whoa. or teachings. I was listening to a talk. Our friend Tom Smith tipped me off to this years ago. But there was this talk by a, a, a rabbi. Oh, I forget. It was from the place called the Pardes Institute. And this talk by this rabbi basically saying, like, look, we as Jews, we don't actually tell this story to our children. We avoid it. And when we want to talk about courage and standing up for what's right, we actually find other stories to tell because this one is way, way too Christian. There's way too many Christian overtones oh. to this because it is so explicit. From the role of the mother interceding on behalf of her children, from this understanding that even my limbs will come back on the last day, the understanding that my suffering can atone for the sins of other people, like all of this, which is so explicit in the mouths of these seven children or these seven young men, it, it's, there's nothing like that wow. in the Old Testament. This is one of the most utterly Christian passages in the entire Old Testament, and there's nothing to account for it except that these young men understand something far beyond the wisdom that's been given to them, that they get what the resurrection is. It's fascinating. Wow. Which is, again, why our Jewish friends, they avoid this story because yeah. it's just too much. The resurrection of the dead, atonement for sin, bodily suffering, doing all these things, this mother and her role— it's so beautiful. So I've been excited about it because it's such a powerful. And you heard those. I mean, he's literally holding out his arms and is like, you can cut these off, but I believe God's going to give them back to me someday. Not in a metaphorical way, but he'll really raise me up again. Oh, yeah. That's that's unheard of. It's unprecedented. And that's why the church, as we kind of near the end of ordinary time and the end of this season, as we approach the endings of things, and maybe the world's going to end on November 8th, but you know, we can be thinking about like, okay, I'm looking beyond that. I'm looking beyond the suffering, beyond this persecution, beyond whatever it is, because I'm going to get this back and it's going to be glorious. And I, as a result, and this is what the mother is saying to her sons, you don't have to fear anything. 
they're going to cut your limbs off. They're going to cut your tongue out. They skin them at one point. But these these sons go for it with, with no fear. They're like, yeah, go for it. It's going to hurt a lot, and I'm not looking forward to that. But I'm not afraid of this because I know what's true, and I know what's real. And you can take my limbs. And it even says Antiochus Epiphanes IV was startled by this and doesn't know what to do with the faith of these kids. And he's like, what, what, who are you? It's really powerful. Yeah. It's neat. Man, I, I mean, I think about anything like that happening anywhere. I mean, I think about, um, you know, um, uh, Blessed Miguel Pro. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. As they're, as they're shooting him, they're like, yeah. renounce the faith. And he's like, no. Viva Cristo Rey. And he, Viva Cristo Rey, and he throws his arms out in yeah. one picture, and it and it crystallizes a nation's faith. Yes. And it just is a, is a gigantic catalyst. And so, I mean, the, Which stor- is- the story of these seven brothers, like, and this mom, did, did the mom get killed too? Uh, I think so, but I have to. I, I didn't. I didn't read that far. So I, 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 I think so. But, but, but yeah, with with the Miguel Pro, I mean, that image of him standing up, mo, it, it doesn't just inspire, but it mobilizes a people. Yeah. Like, wow, if he can do it, maybe I can do that too. And and people see these brothers and like, wow, maybe I can. I want to have courage like that. You know, I and we live in this time of utter fear today in our current situation. We live in this time of utter fear, and I think we need saints to rise up and be courageous and be like, no, we can do this. Catholics, we can do this. We can live these lives. That's why the saints are so powerful. That's why you always get more saints in the darkest times than you do in the good times. That's right. when the saints tend to come in mass, right? That's when why the saints there, go marching in. When the saints. I mean, why are there so many saints from Poland around the time of World War II when it's just the darkest time in human history? Well, because that's when God raises up the people that we can look to. So I think there's going to be saints in our time. I think we're going to look back and the church is going to say, wow, there's a lot of people that stood up in the midst of this dark time. And hopefully we can be mobilized by them. Dude, I think I don't know. I think that uh, I think that you and I have a better likelihood of being saints than be- what than other people because we're so because we're so popular. Why are you doing this? <laughs> Why are you doing this? <laughs> Just get to the readings. <laughs> oh my gosh! Let's talk I, about the psalm. <laughs> you're the worst. I know. I'm such a punk. Oh, you're like the worst. that's that's the thing is like. Like I, I like to say things that are just totally absurd to draw the the uh, like I like ironic statements just to make sure you're all listening that you know that we are, have an inflated self image. Yeah. So right. with this Psalm uh, seventeen. Yeah, this Psalm is this is a, a we need the Lord to hear a just cause. Well, yeah. This is this is great. Lord, yeah. When your glory appears, my joy will be full. But yeah, here a just. So our reading actually says here, O Lord, a just suit. But I think a better translation is a just cause. Because a just suit, I don't know, it's very legalese, kind of, you know, a lawsuit language. And that, that's that's in there. And that's what the psalmist is, is getting to. But but these young men are standing up for a cause. And it's not a cause in the sense of a political cause. Like, oh, I'm going to stand up for this cause. I'm standing up for the Lord himself. Hear me when I, when I well, there's this line. It says, attend to my outcry. And that's a really important line in the Bible. It's a very important scriptural term, especially in the Old Testament. It's the, it's the term sedakah, sedakah, the outcry. It's where it says the Lord hears the cry of the poor, the outcry. When he's coming into obliterate Jerusalem, he says, I've heard the outcry of the poor and the oppressed. God hears the outcry of Egypt, uh, or, or rather of Israel when they're suffering and slavery in Egypt in the time of the Exodus. This is, uh, it's a signal in the scripture that 
God is about to act, that God is about to move. He hears the cry, the sedakah, and that's God's moment. It's not that he doesn't hear it before then, but it's the signal that now is the time in the divine, mysterious plan of God, he's going to move. He's going to step in. He does this in the time of the Maccabees. He changes this whole country. Hmm. He silences the most powerful empire on earth. And he shuts up Antiochus Epiphanes IV for a while because of people like these seven sons who are probably nobodies, who are probably, you know, whoever they are. We don't even know their names, but we have their story because they stood up. And then the people heard and God responds. How does God hear the cry, the outcry of the oppressed? By sending martyrs sometimes. How is he hearing the cry of the people suffering in the time of the Maccabees, well, he sends courageous, heroic martyrs to awaken the consciousness of the people. Sometimes that's how he hears the cry, right? Right. Sometimes he'll send to Moses to go up on a mountain and speak to the power authority and say, we got to stop and let my people go and do all that as well. But sometimes he'll send his martyrs to show what it means to stand and to not lose courage and to not lose heart. Well, to, to, to re-manifest the graces of the passion within the world. What is a martyr but somebody who's willing to imitate Jesus Christ? That's like, but, but witness. Like, to witness. Can I get a witness? But like, th- that's the thing is, I mean, that's what the word martyria is, but like, to actually manifest crucifixion within the midst of, of people. That like that's the, that's, but that's what witness to witness the crucifixion of Jesus to, to actually make it yeah, present. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't mean to dwell on martyrdom. I'm not saying we're all going to be Dude, martyred. Dude, come but, on, you're you're just despairing of no, no, all, all there, things good. I mean, just a level of dying to ourselves. Like we we are we gonna are we willing? I don't, well, this is the thing. I mean, our grandparents' generation, you know, and there's good and bad, obviously, and we we can't romanticize. Yeah. But I feel like our grandparents' generation understood what it was to sacrifice, to be uncomfortable, you know, because of a war, because of the Great Depression. And I mean, I remember hearing the stories of my grandfather and all that he sacrificed so that, but we're just, and this is a, that's a very like societal, economic, all sorts of things, political sense. But I think we're just a people that doesn't know how to sacrifice. So, I mean, whether it's physical martyrdom or not, we don't know how to die to ourselves. We don't know how to give up our comfort. You know, what is that line in Philippians? Their God is their belly. God save us from making our belly our gods. Because that is the temptation of our age, I think. We want comfort at all costs. These young men at the time of the Maccabees said, no, I don't care about that. Which is, I think, a good lead into the second reading from 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians. Thessalonians. First and Second Thessalonians, one of the themes that runs through these letters that Paul writes to these, this city, Thessaloniki, one of the themes that runs through is things to be looking for in the end. So in First Thessalonians, which is that, what everybody really wants to do right now. No, it is, and it's which is why it's really a blessing that we have these letters, because if people in the time of the Thessalonians weren't freaking out about the end times, then we wouldn't have this wonderful advice for what to be looking for in the signs. <laughs> And we get, you know, this is where the famous rapture passage, which I think is very much misunderstood. It comes from First Thessalonians. We, we get in Second Thessalonians, there's this warning about the man of sin, the Antichrist, who's going to come and set up his throne. But it's all of these things, in a lot of ways, written for a culture and a group of people that are overly freaked out about the future. <laughs> We're freaking out. We don't know what's going to happen, Paul. Help us tell us. And he, one of the things that, that runs through the letter is stop freaking out. It's going to be okay. Here's what's going to happen. There's going to be a man of sin. Christ is going to come again. All of these things will take place. But you don't lose your minds. 
Don't lose your minds. Don't lose your hearts. Don't lose your minds. Stop freaking out. It's okay. I would love to know what happens in the lives of these soldiers after they encounter these seven guys. Wouldn't you? What would the fruit have been in the lives of these soldiers after actually having to execute these guys? Because who said a lot? It was like, look, this is what our God is going to do. I'm not afraid of you. I mean, these are people whose job it is to make the world afraid of them. And here's these guys who have absolutely no fear. They've probably never seen that before. What do you think the effect was on the life of these guys, these Mm. soldiers, these executors the next day Mm. or the next week or the next year? Isn't that fascinating? That's really Because you cannot encounter a saint. You cannot encounter that kind of encouragement, that strength with deed and word and not actually have your heart changed. And we see it even in the story. Their hearts are affected. Even Antiochus Epiphany's heart is affected. What would their lives have been like? I I keep thinking of Zacchaeus from last week. And we get to see how we got to see the fruit of Jesus' work in his life and what he wanted to do to amend his life and do all these things. What would it have been like to be one of those soldiers? You know, I think and do it, we have I, that kind of faith in the world as we think about politics and persecution and everything else? No, you got to stand up here for the truth of what's actually happening. You can't make compromises with the right. nations just so that you can think something's going to happen. Right. Um, and and, and the, the story of the Old Testament is whenever you make compromises with the nations, they will turn on you and eat you like a dog. That's the truth. And so That's it's the story. And so is it's just really interesting. It's like and so like we actually need to get together, be present to each other and say, No, I ca- I will stand with you. Like yeah. I I won't virtually stand with you and yeah. say, Hey, I'm gonna put a like on your Facebook post. <laughs> no, yeah. I will literally stand next to yeah. you and I will engage you eyeball to eyeball and I will say, you know, it's okay because it's you can do it. Yeah. it. This is hard and you're gonna get blasted and you're gonna have scars. Yeah. And But chicks dig scars. <laughs> yes, they do. Mm-hmm. One person, two people doing the right thing, standing up, being willing to take the consequences. I've seen them bring down whole governments. And I'm seeing the Maccabee brothers, these, these guys in the story of the Maccabees. That's the kind of thing that topples governments. That's what toppled the government of Antiochus Epiphanes, the fourth, and got them. People, men standing up for truth, men and women, obviously, but yep. these men and their mother standing up for the truth. It toppled the most powerful government in the world. It didn't topple it, but it gained them freedom and they were free. And it was, it was profound. I mean, the, the, the virtue, the, the courage of the apostles standing up, getting martyred for the sake of the gospel, brought down the Roman empire in a lot of ways, or right. at least converted it, right. which is pretty powerful, but it's men doing good things. It's men standing up for what is right and what is true and, and women. Anyway, that takes us to the Gospels. Uh, the Gospel, like I said at the beginning, we've jumped over Palm Sunday. Um, so now we're in Jerusalem. And we're going to enter in, I think this week and next week, Jesus enters into conflict in the temple vicinity. So he gets to Jerusalem. Remember the Palm Sunday story? He goes in, he overturns the money changers' tables. Everyone kind of flips out. They're confused. They're troubled. And then Jesus enters into conflict, and there's a number of stories around chapter 20 of Luke where Jesus is challenged by people, and they try to mess with him, and they try to trip him up, and the religious leaders try to kind of upend his message. And we have the—we didn't get it this week, but I think I think right before this is the line about uh, the render unto Caesar. They're like, you know, should we pay taxes or should we not pay taxes? And all these things just trying to trick him. Right. How can we mess him up? How can we find a, a loophole in his teaching? And in the one that we get this week, chapter 20, 27, the end of chapter 20, 
there's these Sadducees. Um, and it says, it's actually convenient, the gospel points it out to us. The Sadducees, for, for lack of a better term, the Sadducees are like a political party in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, in Judea, among the Jewish uh, leadership at the time, there's a couple different, again, for lack of a better term, political parties. We know the Pharisees, right? The Pharisees and the Sadducees are kind of the big ones. A few years prior, there was the Zealots. Now you have the Essenes, but the Essenes are kind of the... The uber, uber libertarians, they're out in the wilderness waiting for... They're kind of off the scene. Yeah, they are. But but in a nutshell, the difference between the... Oh, thanks for rolling your eyes, so I knew that that was a pun. (laughs) But the nutshell difference is you have the Pharisees who... So, uh, okay, here's here's one thing. They're not not as fair fair as you see. They're not as fair as you see. And the Sadducees... They're They're sad. sad, you see? See? Um, Lame. You're Actually, lame. here's the thing. No, it's all lame. Here's the thing, though. It's connected to uh, Maccabees, because this is fascinating to me. After the Maccabee brothers stand up to the Greek Empire, yeah. take things down, push them out of Jerusalem and Judea, gain a sphere of independence for themselves, do the unthinkable, the Maccabee brothers let the power and the celebrity of what they had done go to their heads a little bit. And I think it's Jonathan, one of the Maccabee brothers, who takes the high priesthood for himself. And because everyone's like, you guys are the best, you guys are leaders, you're so holy, everything is awesome. And one of them decides to take on the high priesthood. He's not qualified to be the high priest. He's not from the line. And as far as the Torah, you know, it's the instructions of who's supposed to hold this office. He doesn't, but he takes it anyway. Uh-oh. And then people begin to kind of take on offices and grow their heads way bigger than they should be. Wow. And all of a sudden, the power and the leadership and the religious leadership in Jerusalem is up for grabs. Until this one guy from very far away hears about this kind of power grab going on in Jerusalem, goes to Caesar and says, hey, how much do I need to pay you to be the ruler over this part of your territory? And he gives him the proper amount. And a guy named Herod then becomes the king in Israel because everyone had bought off, because the Maccabees had let God's faithfulness to them and their, their, their principles, they let it all go to their head. They lost their principles. They corrupted themselves. They compromised themselves. And everything spins out of control. So who are the Sadducees? The Sadducees, by the time of Jesus, a couple generations after the Maccabees, the Sadducees are the ones who are basically the leadership structure in Jerusalem. They're getting paid by the Roman Empire. They're kept in nice, comfortable, cushy jobs, and they think the status quo is just fine. Yes, we're in Jerusalem. We have a temple again. Yeah, the Romans are sort of in control of all of it and they're taxing us, but that's okay because everything's really pretty nice the way it is. The Pharisees are the ones, they're the exact counter to the Sadducees, and they're saying, no, God wants to give us this land. He wants a king to come from the line of David, not some guy, some Edomaean who came in and bought off the position. He wants the high priesthood to look like the high priesthood's supposed to look. We need to go back to what is true. We, they're, they're purists in the best possible sense of that. And so they say, no, we're going to live in the city right in the faces of the Sadducees, and we're going to say we need to call people back to holiness, back to the faithfulness to the law, the way it's supposed to be, because we want God to return and fulfill all of these promises of a kingdom and a blessing and of land and of, of us being a blessing to the rest of the nation. So does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So the Sadducees, in order to keep the status quo, they had to make a lot of compromises in their own faith. And so one of the things the Sadducees do is throw out everything in the Old Testament except for the first five books, the Torah. And they say everything else, it may or may not be scripture. We're not really sure. But the Torah, that's God's word. Everything else is just sort of an aside. 
And what they conveniently do is take out all of the prophets, all of the things that talk about how we're actually corrupt and we've sinned and we've compromised with the nations and God is going to punish us for those things. They take out all the things that have to do with God restoring the line of David, with God bringing an everlasting kingship in, with God destroying our enemies and driving out those who don't follow the name of the Lord and corruption. They throw out all of that stuff because it's very uncomfortable and it's not politically popular to talk about that stuff. And so as a result, one of the things that they don't believe in is the resurrection of the dead. Because it's really Ezekiel that gives the only, and it's, it's a pretty fuzzy one, but it talks about there being this resurrection. But it's tied in with the end of the exile and the end of our enemies and all this stuff. They throw it all that. They threw all that out. So now they are challenging Jesus. And they come forward and they say this line. Maybe you've heard this, this before. Yes. They say, teacher, Moses wrote for us back in Deuteronomy. If somebody's brother dies, leaving a wife but no child, his brother must take up his wife and raise up the descendants after them. Now, what if there's, so there's this, it, it's called levrathite marriage. Basically, if, if there's multiple brothers, if a husband is married to somebody, the husband dies, that means the woman, if she's heirless, if she doesn't have a child, she's going to be left totally destitute and she's kind of out in the cold. So the right thing to do is for the brother, the next family member to step up and take care of the wife, to get married to her and try to provide an heir. And so she could be cared for. And if that brother dies, then et cetera. This is actually the story of Ruth in the Old Testament. Ruth um, she, Boaz was the closest family member. And so he actually marries Ruth and he does the Leverthite marriage that he's supposed to. Anyway, um, so the Sadducees are like, okay, well, what if there's seven brothers conveniently tied to the seven brothers of Maccabees? What if there's seven brothers and the first married a woman, but she dies childless. And then the second does and the third and the, all of seven of them died. And then finally the woman died. Now at the resurrection, whose wife will that woman be? Now, first of all, remember the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. And they've created, well, yeah, the, I'm mad at the Sadducees here because they've created this stupid, absurd circumstance to try to show Jesus and everybody else how utterly absurd this law is and how utterly absurd it is to follow this law of Deuteronomy about brothers marrying their brothers to take care of them. Well, what if there's seven of them? And then there's this resurrection that's super mysterious. And then there's all these people and who's going to be married to who? They're not, they don't care about the answer to this question. They're trying to point out to everybody how dumb this law is. Which is interesting because what's happening is the seven versus seven, um, which on one hand, like there's actually, there's the divine reversal taking place. So what happens is that as the Sadducees are talking about, um, oh, the resurrection to the li to life, yeah, who's going to be married? Right. Seven, I mean, yes, we know it's fullness. So like we, we know it's fullness, but it's also covenant. Yes. So what's happening is that they're talking about actually covenanting with death. Ooh. versus the versus the um the okay, brothers you. who have death but they're covenanting with life, life. and Ooh. so so it's so the, it's this actually divine in, uh, inversion to where you have a group that is actually convinced of death and not even resurrection yeah. versus uh, brothers that are convinced of resurrection and so they face death Ooh, so cuz the Sadducees are always trying to preserve themselves those who would yeah. preserve themselves will lose their life. Yes. Those who would lose their life will save their life. Yes. This is actually the demonstration of the wisdom of Christ being poured out. Yeah. In in these readings, which is like, <clears throat> I don't know. This is that's this cool. Is, this is wild. That's a good you, tie. You, you were having a you were having a point. That, no, no, I, that's a I, really good tie-in. And I just thwarted it. No, no, you didn't at all. All I was going to say really is that I think it's ironic that Jesus takes their question more seriously than they do. 
that's always the the sign of a of really actually fine intellect mm. is somebody who can who can actually point out the real question underneath yes. the question right. so that the person who's asking is like I didn't realize that I was asking that question but that's right. exactly right. Right. Which yeah, and so his answer to the question that was underlying their question as you pointed out is about the nature of the resurrection. He's like, no, 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 you you don't understand. The reason you don't believe in the resurrection, I see this Jesus saying this in between the lines, the reason you don't believe in the resurrection is because you don't understand it. Right. And maybe if you understood it and how beautiful it is and profound and how it's not tied up in all of these things that you're nitpicking about, then maybe you would see the grand vision for all of this. And he's like, no, in, in the resurrection, there's no marriage or given in marriage and, and you know, um, yeah, neither mar- neither they marry nor are given a marriage. They can no longer die for they're like angels. They are the children of God and they will be the ones who rise. The dead will rise. Even Moses made known the passage about the bush when he called out Lord, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob. And he is the God of not the dead, but of the living. Even He's like, you just quoted Moses. Even Moses got this and you right. guys don't get it. Right. He called God the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not people who are dead, but people who are alive. And on a certain sense, he's responding to the Sadducees, but on a more, on another sense, he knows everyone's listening to him and he wants to provide, he doesn't just give an apologetic. And that's what I love about Jesus's teachings, because we sometimes get so bogged down as, as good, faithful Catholics about wanting an apologetic answer to something. Give me an apologetic, give me a proof text, give me a verse that I can turn to and say, okay, this is why this is the case. Jesus isn't doing that. Instead, he's creating this vision of if you only understood what we're talking about. I'm not proof texting. I'm not throwing out verses at you. I'm showing you, look at the reality. Don't you want that? This is the Mm. way that the scriptures teach us. I think of the letter to the Hebrews, which is this whole book that's trying to convince this group of Jewish Christians who want to throw in the towel because it's too hard. And it says, no, no, no. Look at what Christ has offered us. Look at the new temple and the new priesthood and then the new sacrifice. If you saw what is true, you would never want to go back the other way. Right. Jesus is presenting a grand vision, just mm. like in a very real way, these seven brothers presented to the world a grand vision. Look, you're going to kill us, and all you're going to see is a dead body and a bunch of limbs sitting in front of you. But the reality is something so far beyond that, it would make your head spin. Mm. The reality of what's happening underneath the surface, Mm. beyond what your eyes can see, is something so much more profound and beautiful and provocative and life-changing. And if you could only see that, and all that the soldiers and the king are allowed to do is either trust or not trust the words that these young men are saying. Mm. Will I believe that? Will I move toward that? What if that was, I mean, I, I imagine these soldiers just thinking, man, what if that was true? What mm. if they're onto something here? What if there is more than what I'm doing to them? And for the people listening to Jesus, yeah, we get so bogged down in these details and these Sadducees, they're just trying to tear them apart. What if there's more to it than this? I mean, we're being torn. Should we follow the Sadducees? Should we follow the Pharisees? The Pharisees are being really jerks about the resurrection. The Sadducees are saying it's stupid. What do we do? Oh, I've never even looked at it as though it's actually a beautiful ideal. We get so bogged down. We've been talking about politics under the surface this whole podcast. And we get so bogged down politically and on these little policies and all of the nit- nitpicky details. We forget, like, who are we? Right. Who are we as Catholic Christians? Who are we as Catholic Christians who live in the United States of America? What is that? What should it be? 
when you dream, when you say the word, you know, if you say, when I was a little kid, you know, raised in a military family, I mean, America meant a great deal and it was courage and it was bravery and it was sacrifice and it was, it was beautiful. And I don't think we have that anymore, but there's something about recapturing the vision of what we thought we could be, who we know we're supposed to be. Taking the faith that says, no, you're more than what meets the eye. Right. Your life is more than what meets the eye. Your citizenship is more than what meets the eye. All of it is so much more profound and beautiful than you ever imagined. Can we ascent? Can we move our wills in that direction? Right. And say, yeah, I'm going to live as though I believe that. That's why I like doing this podcast with you, Scott. Honestly, is that like I experience that in talking to you. Really? Yeah, like I, your faith elevates me. And I actually think that that's actually a huge part of why we're close to a million listeners is that, that we're trying our very best to like believe in the gospel and, 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 like, and to have that vision. And I think that, I think that you and I have both uh, taken it to a certain level. Mm-hmm. Like I really do believe in the gospel and I yeah. really follow after it and I actually stake my life on it. And the more that you do that, mm. the that's we just celebrated All Saints Day. Those yeah. are the ones who really did it. Yeah. Who just said, "I'm going to stake absolutely everything, and I'm not coming back." Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like, th- there's no, there's no hesitation. I'm gonna, I'm gonna live this out, and and yeah. if I'm wrong, I'm gonna be really wrong. If I'm wrong, I want to be really wrong. All right. Hey, thanks for joining us. Love you guys. You know. Keep your heads on if you need to, but it's better to lose them if you must. A good, a good word, Father Peter. We'll see okay. you next week. Okay, bye. The Word in the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.lankyguys.org. See you next week.